Welcome everyone to episode 147 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Mark Baker as we reflect on Liverpool's 3-1 victory over Bournemouth. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool have got their first victory of the new Premier League season. They went behind in this one very early on with a goal from Antoine Semenyo, but they were in front again before half-time thanks to Luis Diaz and a Mohamed Salah penalty, or at least he scored the rebound. And then even though they went down to 10 men in the second half with a red card for Alexis McAllister on a bit of a a nightmare home debut. We'll obviously talk about that. They were able to score and make it 3-1 shortly afterwards through Diogo Jota. Um, and while there were maybe one or two um, nervy moments after that, Liverpool saw it out with relative comfort at that stage to get three points um, at Anfield. So let's begin like we usually do with our three-word match reviews um, and just kind of assess the performance. I'll just go first on this quickly. Um, I've gone with... I thought about going with off the mark. I've gone with Dominic Sobersline masterclass, but we'll uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more in a second and how he played. Um, in terms of the performance itself, difficult to know what what to make of it. Really, I think it was probably decent on the whole. Is is the word I'd use? It was a very worrying start to the game. I thought just with not not even necessarily. I mean, the goal is, as conceded. Obviously, it, it's a mistake from Alexander Arnold giving the ball away, which is then punished. But it wasn't even necessarily the goal that worried me as much as just Liverpool looking really nervous. I don't even know if it was like a systemic problem early on. It just looked more like Liverpool very disjointed. Um, and weirdly, when you expect them to attack the fixture, they were quite slow out the blocks. Um, almost looked a bit kind of, I don't know, because the first home game of the new season or anything like that. But yeah, really slow start. Um, improved as the half wore on, definitely. Um, and then obviously... Thankfully, managed to, to turn it around before the break. I think, you know, you were still confident that they'd be able to win the game. Um, and that they managed to do that. Second half was probably better than the first in a weird way, even though a lot of it was played with, with a man disadvantage. And Liverpool did very well with, with the, um, you, despite having, you know, you, you, that numerical infer- inferiority after the uh, McAllister red card. Um, and yeah, I think overall, probably like a seven out of 10 display from Liverpool. Um, not maybe the most sort of impressive, but also I think a decent response to the adversity that they face within the game, some of it self-inflicted and, and maybe some of it otherwise is how I, I kind of summarise that one. But yeah, difficult to fully know where we stand with it. I mean, coming to you then, Mark, um, your kind of three-word summary of that one, please. And just what you thought of that performance generally. So my three words would probably just be an important victory, I suppose, um, because even even at this early stage in the season, I think if you weren't to have won this game and then you're obviously going to Newcastle next weekend, which is going to be a very difficult game, it can quickly spiral um, mm. and you can quickly be sort of behind the, the, the leading pack before you know it. Points are vital at any stage of the season. So I felt it was important to get off the mark. Um, so that was the first thing. I felt, I agree with you, Dave, in terms of the, the opening start of the game. I felt Liverpool really struggled in the build-up. As we know, Bournemouth has often a new style of high pressing, which they'll they'll stick to throughout the season. That's the manager's method going forward. Mm. And Liverpool, I, mean, I think I mentioned this on the, the podcast uh, last week, in terms of Liverpool trying to build up from a deeper position in, uh, against any kind of organised pressure, they have struggled badly over the last season and a half. And it was no different in them early stages. 
I mean, the the ball from Van Dijk, no problem at all. It's a ball you you play in, play into your central midfield, play it under pressure to be able to bounce out and then come out the other side. But the problem was Alexander Arnold's body shape was all wrong in terms of how he received the, the ball as a closed body shape. And then before you knew it, it'd been sprang upon and Liverpool were in all kinds of problems from that moment. But it is a continual problem for Liverpool in that they're not finding the angles, they're not finding the combinations and the coerced patterns to be able to get out of that organised pressure. And again, going forward during the season, if that doesn't get better for Liverpool, Liverpool are going to continue to struggle, especially against teams who've got better quality in the final third than Bournemouth. So that was what I thought about the start of the game. As the game progressed into the the rest of the first half, I felt that Liverpool improved somewhat. You've got to factor in the kind of quality they were against in Bournemouth, who lower reaches the Premier League in terms of quality. And with Liverpool's forward players, I felt that even though Liverpool weren't playing well, because of the extra quality that they possess, they were always capable of scoring goals and got into some really good areas towards the end of the first half and obviously managed to to get in, into an advantage. And then sort of fast forward to the start of the second half, I thought Liverpool were taking control of the game. I thought they were sort of boxing Bournemouth into their own half, sort of ring-fencing them in in the opponent's um, final third, sorry, defensive third. And then, obviously, the red card came, which which changed it a bit. and was a, bit, a little bit of a shame, really, because I felt that Liverpool would have gone on to win the game quite comfortably from that position with 11 men and maybe gain a little bit of confidence because mm. what I'd seen in pre-season, Liverpool had been very disjointed, playing forward too early, not having control of games. And I felt it was the first time for a while now that I've actually seen Liverpool start to sort of manage the game better in terms of control. I didn't see really Bournemouth getting out at that stage. And I've seen Liverpool create more, or amassing more chances. Obviously, with the red card, that changes it. And Liverpool then can't exert that amount of control. And we're fortunate, really, in the fact that the goalkeepers made two really outstanding saves to keep the score as it was. Liverpool didn't manage it as well as they possibly could and maybe you know a more confident Liverpool and a, a team throughout the last few years would have managed it differently but they're indebted to the goalkeeper that, that, that it stayed the way it did really. So that's that's our source of seeing it um, over the course of 90 minutes. Yeah, I think obviously you know it was a shame to go to 10 men partly because you, know, you just wanted to see how kind of Liverpool performed really with that 11 men like you say building on the improvements in their performance, just to kind of see where they were at. Because I, I still don't fully know where this team is at at the moment. I think that Newcastle game next weekend is obviously going to be a big clue about that. I think there's a, a tough game against Aston Villa coming up after that too. Um, but yeah, it's still difficult to say where, where this team's up to. Um, in terms of, you know, it being an important victory, you know, you, you mentioning those two games coming up as well. It does feel like it was critical to win today. I mean, I remember on the uh, the pre-match podcast last week that Dan was saying um, about how we kind of looked at the start of the season and been like, oh, this will be a, a definite victory within the, or a near enough definite victory with, within a difficult start of the season. But when it comes around, it does get a little bit more nerve-wracking in the sense that you do feel the pressure to get the three points today. Definitely, almost felt like I, I must win, really, in that sense, even though it was only the second game. And... I was I was kind of watching the build up today, you know, just actually remembering what you said last week, Mark, about the, the struggles against Chelsea. And I do think, you know, it is a problem at the moment. One thing that I think helped Liverpool today was um sort of Alexander Arnold, obviously, you know, playing. He he will, will play kind of in a, a midfield that narrow role when Liverpool have the ball. But it seemed like I don't know if this was necessarily a new thing, but it seemed to me that he was maybe staying a bit wider in kind of that first phase of the build-up, which gave the out-ball to Canate, 
which kind of I noticed more and more as the match went on, and maybe it was a response from Klopp to kind of those early struggles, um, and Liverpool were able to assert themselves a bit more. Um, Dominic Sobersly then, um, Liverpool have named him the official player of the match today, obviously his home debut, um, technically gets two assists, I think, for this one. Um, what did you think of his performance, uh, and do you think the penalty that he won was maybe a little bit on the soft side? Um, yeah, so first of all, David, I was really, really impressed with him. To be honest, I was impressed with him at Chelsea as well. I felt he was probably, if not Liverpool's best player over the course of 90 minutes. Um, with regards to the penalty, I'm always on the side of, if I'm a defender, why am I diving in there? I always would say that if it's a, a Liverpool player making the tackle or a defender making the tackle. Um, and yeah, I think I think in the, the grand scheme of things, it was probably a penalty. At the end of the day, he's chopped back outside and the defender's left a leg in. And if you let, leave a leg in, then good, clever forward players are going to go down mm. and ultimately you've won a penalty. Um, but overall, in terms of his performance, no, I've been really, really impressed with him. And I'll be honest with you, I didn't really know what to expect. I'm not going to you know, sit here and say I've seen him play before. But one thing I did know with him coming into Liverpool, that it was imperative that Liverpool got someone to play in that right-hand channel in terms of Liverpool's midfield. I mean, Jordan Henderson had been a great player for Liverpool over the course of his career, but it was painful watching him towards the back end of that season trying to play that higher right-sided position where, you know, ultimately you're receiving the ball at times on the half turn or with your back to goal or trying to combine when you've got the least amount of time and space. And that's where, you know, you need a different kind of player in there who's going to be more impactful in the final third. And also the way Liverpool play, I think a player who is also capable of, of going into that wide right channel and being able to create because... As we know, without Liverpool play at this moment in time, you've got Alexander-Arnold coming inside. Now, that means that Salah's down the right-hand side and obviously Canati is then trying to feed him the ball a lot. He's having to come to feet a lot more, which works. It has its positives and negatives. Ultimately, you want to get your best player on the ball as much as you can. But we know that his most penetrating runs come from running out to win and staying higher. So you're going to have to have a player who's capable of sort of drifting out of that wide right-hand side so that it doesn't become a case that Kanati is simply playing a ball down the line to your best player in Salah throughout the games. And that is something that obviously Liverpool have looked at. And I think that's sort of the profile that they went for in there. I think what has stood out to me early on about him is that he seems a goal threat. He seems like he can strike from different angles. He seems like he gets himself into good areas. And also, what I've also liked is his ability to take the ball under pressure in the final phase and maintain possession. Because often what you'll see is you'll see players who, uh, like I watched Bruno Fernandes for the, uh, today, for example, at Manchester United. And I've got no doubt he's, you know, he's a fantastic player. There's no question about that in terms of what he can execute in that final phase and find moving targets. But if I was a Manchester United fan, I'd be so frustrated watching him in terms of his consistency of his selection of pass. Mm. So often it's a great pass or he'd give the ball away. There's just no consistency to it. And one thing that stood out to me about Sabozla in the early stages, and hopefully this carries on, is not only is he looking a threat on the opposition goal, but also he's able to maintain the ball under pressure in that final third. And I think that, again, was something that Jordan Henderson really, really struggled with when he was asked to play that role through no fault of his own. Ultimately, he was at the stage of his career where he needed to play under the ball and behind the ball. And and that wasn't the case. He was getting, obviously, pushed into service and it was massively hindering. Liverpool, I feel. Um, so, yeah, really positive signs from him. And I think the position that he's played has suited suited him so far. I felt it was interesting, actually, David. I've seen a, um, a 
comments from Alexis McAllister talking about how he, you know, sort of Klopp's told them that his role will be on that sort of inside right of the midfield. And I thought that was really interesting, really, considering he's played more on the left-hand side for Brighton and also for the national team. And the way he started on the right-hand side, so Bosley, you'd like to see that that could be a good match alongside Alexander-Arnold and Salah with him drifting into them wide areas and higher positions. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how sort of how he fits in there, really, with um, when the midfield balance is, is restored a little bit. I mean, on the point about Sobosly's uh, ball retention, um, I think today he, he completed more passes than any Liverpool player. Um, and also, he had the best passing accuracy too. I think he had 93%. Actually, Van Dijk had 97, but then he, he was second after that with, with 93, which is obviously, you know, is a brilliant record in that department. For me, it wasn't so much the assists that kind of stood out today, you know, assists as they were. Um, I thought the run and power was just immense. I mean, the amount of occasions, I think he completed three dribbles today, but it wasn't even necessarily kind of beating men with technical skill. It was more just, you know, powered and passed them with the ball. And that was kind of something we lacked so much. I mean, physically last season, the midfield was, was dominated so much. And, and so to see that was really refreshing and it was just very thrilling to watch too. Um, defensive work rate, I think, is a big plus with Sobosly as well. I think Henderson, I'm not saying he didn't have the inclination to do it last season, but I, I just wondered if he was out of, in a place physically where he could kind of do it effectively. Um, but Sobosly's enthusiasm to kind of get back there, I think, is really important to him. I mean, Klopp, very complimentary about that against Chelsea, and I'm sure he would love that today too. The thing that impressed me most of all today was when Liverpool had the man sent off, Sobosly went up a level. And, and that ability to drag the team up to adversity, I mean, that, that was when he really stood out head and shoulders above the rest, I thought, in that game when it became a bit stretched. Um, that was, you know, really good. And that, and that was kind of leadership from him. I think he's the captain of, of Hungary. Um, and I think he just kind of took it upon himself to be like, you know, let's not kind of sulk about this injustice. Let's, you know, take a grip of the game and make sure we don't let it get away from us. Um, no, I, I agree, Dave. I think, I think from my point of view, I think that's a great point you made about his running power. I mean, it's early on, sort of like where you're assessing him. But if you look at the way he was actually moving with the ball, running with the ball and running into in, running into large spaces, sort of has a look of Kevin De Bruyne when he travels with the ball and sort of has that long stride about him as well. And I thought that was a great point you made as well about obviously off the ball because I felt he was brilliant off the ball against Chelsea, Liverpool's best player. And I think he carried that on today. I think he looks like he's got great fitness levels, great energy. But more importantly... It's not aimless running. I think a lot of the time when he's making them runs, his body position is playing um, uh, encroaching upon the the opposition player and forcing them into errors as well. Um, mm. And another excellent point you made about when they went down to 10 men, what really impressed me was the way he slotted into a midfield too, played deeper. Obviously, my perception of him when he signed for Liverpool or what I'd read about him was, you know, he's a player who spent a large amount of time playing off the right-hand side for his club and sort of envisaged them as a higher player. But it also showed he had that ability to be able to play deeper and play in a more disciplined position as well. So, no, I thought they were great points. Yeah, that was the thing. He, he was quite advanced for Leipzig and, and there are maybe are more defensive responsibilities than he was necessarily used to, but he, he's taken to them very well, definitely. And... So, you know, we talked about the, the red card, how Sobersline, how Liverpool responded to it. But let, let's talk about the decision itself. I, I put a poll up on, on my Twitter account about this um, just after the match. Um, and basically said, if Liverpool appeal the red card, will, do you think it'll be a successful appeal? Rather than saying, 
was it a red or not? Because I think everyone that would have been maybe quite quite skewed. As it is, um, 70% thought yes, Liverpool would be successful with an appeal, and 30% thought they wouldn't be. Um, so, Mark, what do you think of the decision? Would you, if you were Liverpool, would you appeal that? And what kind of chance would you give it of, of being overturned? Yeah, well, first of all, when it when I seen it sort of in real time, I, my initial thought Dave, was, is he going to get a yellow card here? Because I thought to myself, he's late. You know, he's probably I can't remember where the ball went at that time, whether he was stopping a counter attack, but you could tell he was he was slightly late. And then when the red card come up, I was just in total shock, really. But then you obviously look at it afterwards, and your initial thought is, without seeing the replay, I was thinking he's caught him high here. He must have caught him high, and you know. It's one of them. He's caught him on the shin bone, straight leg, whatever it may be. But, I mean, I haven't watched it a number, a number of times. But on first glance, at the, the first couple of looks I got at it, it was a lot lower than I, I perceived it to be when the red card sort of came out. And I think, be, looking at it, I think the referee, he's made the decision. But if I, I think if you show, if the referee had to make that decision another nine times out of ten, I don't think he shows him a red card. I don't. I think he's slightly misjudged it and maybe thought he's caught him higher. Now, I do realise that he may have gone in a little bit with his studs and stuff like that. And, you know, you know, when, when, for example, when people say, well, he hasn't meant it, well, that's got no reference point whatsoever. It's like, do you ever remember years ago, Sadio Mane kicked Edison in the head yeah. and everyone was saying, well, he didn't mean it. Well, that wasn't the point because the moment he, he didn't take into account his surroundings and raised his boots, it was always going to be a red card because he endangered, endangered the opponents. And that's what I sort of assumed I was going to see in the replay. But it was a lot lower than I assumed. And, and like I say, having said that, though, in answer to your question, I don't think Liverpool would be successful at all. I don't think it'll get retracted. I think it'll stay. In, and ultimately, um, that'll be a, a big blow to Liverpool because like myself and, and yourself have talked about on other podcasts, the situation that Liverpool are in at this moment in time, he's their best player to play in that deeper double mm. double um, defensive midfield role. And if you take him out of it, I'm wondering what the option is in there. I mean, hopefully Liverpool over the next week can get Thiago back fit. But, you know, to throw him into Newcastle, one of the most physical teams in the Premier League, when he's had no pre-season and no games, would be a bit, big ask. And then you've got the other lad who's just come in endo who, you know, with the greatest respect, has been in the country two, two days and has never played a Premier League game before today. So, in that sense, it's probably one of the worst players you could lose. But I do believe they're going to lose him. Because it will be three games, won't it, in terms of a straight yeah. red? Yeah. So, yeah, it is the last player they could really do with losing. Because in that that deeper position at this moment in time, he's by far Liverpool's best option. Yeah, I think that that's the the frustration with it is the fact that it's a, not only a controversial red but a very consequential one when you look at not only the fact that he's going to miss three games. I think the fact that you know one of those games is Newcastle away, um, one one of you have to say the toughest away games at the moment, um, all season. It's going to be very difficult to um to absorb that one if, if it does kind of stand. And I'd agree with you that I think it will. To be honest, I think it was probably an orange card type challenge from McAllister. Um, I think. Watching it back, it is late. It's not, I wouldn't necessarily say it's a, a hugely high challenge, but like it's it's not low. You know, like, you know, he catches him decently high up his leg. The main thing that ma- makes it not a red card for me is, and I think there was a video from the stands that actually showed this better. You know, there's no kind of force there. And, you know, how often do we hear excessive force kind of used as 
and the reason the player gets sent off. Like, I just don't think he's kind of come into that tackle with enough kind of venom for it to be a red card. And it, to be honest, the look on McAllister's face when he pulled out the card was, I think, the look on a lot of supporters' faces. And I don't even think Christie himself, you know, the, who went down, I don't think he was expecting it to be a red. I think the Bournemouth manager's come out and said something that, you know, he was surprised by the decision as well. Um, so, again, you know, maybe if there is an appeal, that kind of thing counts in Liverpool's favour implicitly, I don't know. Um, hopefully, obviously, it is overturned. Um, a shame, a real shame for McAllister too, obviously, just to kind of spoil his day. Um, and we'll see kind of how Liverpool are able to cope with it. I think I, I, t- I totally agree that, you know, obviously the, the other options in that position uh you know, problematic at the moment for different reasons, but um, it is at least a, a big boost to see, you know, Bicetic back on the bench. I think we expected him to be um, to be back. Klopp, Klopp had said in his press conference on Friday that he wasn't ready yet, so he's obviously maybe trained really well on Friday or something like that, and he's back available again. Um, and then Endo as well. You'd imagine if McAllister is unavailable, we'll, we'll kind of be thrown into the lineup probably quicker than Klopp imagined for that game against Newcastle. That's going to be a a huge test um, for him straight off the bat. So we'll see, we'll see how he does. Obviously, came on today, got about maybe twenty-five minutes, made a couple of of decent tackles, and um, so a, a reasonable debut for him. And we've got a few minutes left, and Mark, just to kind of talk about maybe one or two other players who impressed you today. I mean, is there anyone else you think deserves a mention? Um, overall, I think I, th- I think Van Dijk was solid in it. I think, to be honest, I think Van Dijk has been over the, the two fixtures, really, which I think has been, been important for him to start the season in that manner. And I think also the goalkeeper, I think sometimes we take for granted how good the goalkeeper is. I know, mm. you know, when I, when I say that, I'm aware that everyone knows he's an absolute world-class goalkeeper. But I I actually think we're looking at probably, as an all-round package, if not the best goalkeeper who's played in the Premier League, I just think he is that important to the side and that good at managing crucial moments within games and don't forget, I think Liverpool conceded the third most big chances in the Premier League last season and the amount of times he was called into action in difficult situations. And the way he manages his engagements out to the attacker, he judges the distance of when to engage, makes himself as big as he possibly can, his body shape when he does. He's a top, top world-class goalkeeper. And Liverpool are very fortunate to have him and we're very fortunate to have him over the last few years because his saves at key moments have been considerable in what Liverpool have have achieved and even you know last season I dread to think where Liverpool could have finished in the Premier League if they didn't have Alisson in goal and the statistics bear it out in terms of the amount of you know key moments his post-shot XG all of this kind of thing I mean he is an all-round outstanding goalkeeper and the best in the world in his position and he showed that again today because I think a lot of people have come away from the game and think right you know Liverpool they, they managed to get the results you know it was quite comfortable but it wasn't comfortable when you'd actually think about it. He's had to make two absolutely brilliant saves, especially the last one, to keep Liverpool on level terms. And the fact is, Liverpool did give up them big chances, regardless if they were down to 10 men or not. And it could have looked a lot different. So I certainly think the goalkeeper, um, and I think, obviously, Van Dijk uh, performed, and Luis Diaz, of course, because I think before... Luis Diaz got injured. I think it's easy to sort of forget the level of performance that he was putting in. And when I seen him over the early couple of months, and even, to be honest, the start of last season, he's probably Liverpool's best player. I do believe he's got the ceiling to be one of the best players in the Premier League, Luis Diaz. I think he's an absolute menace in terms of how he can travel with the ball. 
his work rate as well when he hasn't got it. And I think if he can just add that little bit of composure in that final phase and obviously get into a position where he builds up his minutes after a, a really serious injury, let's not forget. He was bouncing for the best part of six months with, with a knee injury, which, let's be honest, can be career-ending and players can't come back the same. But I think slowly but surely, we're starting to see the player come back. And if we do, I just think he can be a massive player for Liverpool this season. And I actually think if he, he would have stayed fit last season, I, would, I think Liverpool would have still been in the Champions League now. Well, I think you make an important point. I mean, I remember at the start of last season, Diaz was one of the outstanding positives with, with his performance levels. Um, so he was, a, he was a huge miss. And um, the thing that encourages me is, you know, Sadio Mane averaged 20 goals a season during his time at Liverpool. And Liverpool have got more options now, so Diaz doesn't necessarily need to do that. But, you know, he does need in this first full season to kind of score at it on a consistent level and push on towards kind of the 15-goal mark. Obviously, so for him to have two and two so far, both very well. And also, I think the chances that he's had to, I mean, sometimes you get off to a hot start and you score a couple of worldies, but he's kind of, I mean, the, the finish today was, was brilliant. Like, you know, improvised finish, but also, you know, he's getting into the positions where he's going to get big chances and that's very encouraging too in terms of his output. Um, Van Dijk, I thought, also deserves a shout. I agree with you on that. Um, he was a rock today, much like he was against Chelsea. Um, my favourite moment from him was when I think a shot comes in. Solanke's kind of there hunting for the rebound, but Van Dijk just gets in, gets his body in the way, really uses his strength very well. Um, so that was good. Um, Andy Robertson, I thought, maybe reined in the attacking instincts a bit today, gave the Liverpool a little bit more balance, you know, stuck to his task quite well defensively. So credit where it's due there. And the other player I'd mention is uh, Diogo Jota. Obviously, he scored one and made another. And to be to be fair, I think he, he struggled a little bit in the, at the start of the game. But um, obviously, he gets the kind of proper poacher's goal and uh, I think created a good few chances for his teammates today. So, interesting to see what happens with that one when uh, Gakpo is not, no longer required in midfield. And um, which, to be fair, on the McAllister point too, if he's out for three games, maybe that means longer with Gakpo in that left centre midfield role too, especially with Jones injured. Interesting to see what happens on, on that. But when Gakpo's back available for the forward line, kind of who starts there, uh, that dilemma is still uh, very much in focus. But yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll leave it there for, for this episode. Um, I think we pretty much covered all the bases for this um, this Bournemouth game. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a five-star review. And we'd really appreciate it. Remember, if you follow the podcast as well, put notifications on, it'll appear in your feed and you'll get a uh, message every time we post a new episode. And you can also email us at redzonerestrictedpodcast at gmail.com as well. And yeah, we'll be back before the Newcastle game for our next episode. So we'll see you then.